Thank you, Brian. That's my big cousin. I actually wanted to work in something about Ninja Turtles in today's sermon just because Brian and I were both born in the 80s, and that was pretty significant to us as little kids. But um, I didn't do it. <coughs> um, I guess I just mentioned it there. Okay, uh, can you hear me okay? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet. We ask a blessing over this reading, and we uh, give you thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, I want to read and contemplate uh, Isaiah 35 that we just heard with you. Um, and I want to I read it and consider uh, salvation, the way God's salvation works. God actually does a lot of salvation. He does a lot of saving in the scriptures. Uh, the, the main one we think of is Christ's work on the cross and the coming uh, judgment and fixing everything at the end of time. But when we look at other examples of salvation throughout the scripture, it informs us of what Christ is doing. It gives us a richer and deeper understanding of what he's doing. So I want to just spend some time in contemplating Isaiah 35, which is one of the most beautiful uh, poems ever written about salvation. And I think it will reveal quite a bit about Christ to us. Um, to, to better understand it, we need a lot of uh, context. I can do that pretty quickly. The book of Isaiah, if you read the first chapter, it's a bummer. It's horrible. Judah is no good. They are doing a, a bad job. They have, they have defiled themselves. They have defiled the temple. They are full of sin. Uh, they don't know. They don't know their. They don't know their master anymore. Okay, even a donkey, uh, we hear, knows its master, but not Israel, not Judah. They are in big trouble, and so this this people that are in covenant with God, with Yahweh, they can't they can't be in His presence anymore because He's a holy God, and. Um, and it turns out this place called Zion, if you've heard of Zion, we've heard it up there. Zion is the part of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's God's holy city, but Zion is where the temple is. This is like the holiest place. And you've got to understand, um, Zion has everything to do with God's presence. The temple, the temples don't make as much sense to us. We are a temple together. And so just put that in your head. But imagine that, but in a physical thing. So the temple is where... God's uh, presence is visually for these people. He is the source of life for them. Okay? Just as he is the source of life for the whole universe. He sustains it. And so in a very special way with Israel, I will give you blessing, he says in his covenant at Sinai. I'll give you blessing um, and I will curse you if you don't follow me. And so Israel is, the book of Isaiah, things have gone really bad. They're not trusting God, and so uh, and they've turned away from Him. And so even Zion, the place where this holy being interacts with them in a special way, he says, I can't do it anymore. So he does something you may have heard of called exile. He kicks, he kicks them out of the land because you can't, you can't be here. It's, it's done. Actually, Isaiah 6, if you remember that passage, the famous one where Isaiah beholds God's uh, holy throne, and the first thing he says is, it's declared God is holy, holy, holy. And the first thing he says is, oh, sinful man, what am I going to do? I'm amongst the sinful people. We're in big trouble. Okay, so that, that's the context of Isaiah. It's this drama about God kicking them out 
but then miraculously bringing them back into his presence. That's chapters 40 and on. And then the end of Isaiah talks about how he'll one day fix everything cosmologically. Everything will be made new. So we have this, we're in a big situation. We're kicked out, very much like the Garden of Eden. And then we're brought back, okay? And so this bringing Israel back from exile is this image of salvation that I want to look at, if this is making sense. So, um, uh, and it's, it creates this beautiful paradigm for us. So you, one other thing I want you to get in mind is Isaiah, the, the idea of exile. I'm not going to run you through a bunch of texts right now, but exile, it's death. Okay? If you're away from Zion, if you're away from the temple, it's death. You're, you're cut off from God. That's how they're, that's their experience. They're, it's like, it's like damming a river. Here's a little pond that gets filled by a stream. If you dam that stream, what happens to that pond? It dries up slowly, right? There'd be nothing left. That's what exile is. That's how they experience it. It's like taking Wi-Fi from a teenager. Okay, it's just, they wouldn't know what to do. So it times that by 100. All right, Israel, the whole thing. It, uh, it even brings up issues of, oh, you know, God isn't as strong as Baal. God isn't, our God isn't as strong as these gods, because why would we be exiled? These are the types of questions they're going through. The God's saying, no, 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 I did this on purpose. You were, you couldn't be in my presence, but I will, through my saving, my salvation, bring you back. So that's our context. Um, and so in the middle of chapters of horrible judgment, Isaiah is a pretty heavy book, lots and lots of judgment, we get this passage in the middle of all this bad stuff. We get this, like, gleaming light, Isaiah 35, this beautiful poem placed in the middle of this that tells us something about what God's going to do. He said, you might be exiled, you might be in death, but watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to somehow bring you back. And so, uh, let's take a look at the passage together. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. All right, so you can see, I want you to, you know, we got to put on our poetic lenses here. I'm an English teacher, so I love poetry. So here we go. But a desert is death. A desert is barren. I know we can live in deserts now, but we have to have a lot of air conditioning and all kinds of stuff. But it, nothing grows in the desert unless it rains. And so you, we see that here in this place that is parched, this place that is death, that is wilderness. By seeing it, it, this horrible place that was death can be reversed. Something that's ruined can be made lush. It can be filled with flowers. It can be filled with life. A desert. Just like Sarah's womb was barren. It was death. God can make a nation from it. And so from this desert, God, his presence, he creates glory in this place. He's the one who's doing it. You can see this growing life is a form of God's glory. 
then it goes on to say, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. That's our word, salvation. He will come to save you. And who is he coming for? He's, who does God save? What is salvation? Salvation is one person or group rescuing a person or group in need. Salvation, sometimes salvation is simply David saying, God, help me beat this army. God saved me. He saved me in battle. Okay? And so we have... See what's... Here's the key idea of salvation with God. Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. You can also translate it, here he is. Here is your God. Salvation has everything to do with God's presence. If he's present, he's life, he's power. And these people that are in need, those with weak hands and weak knees, those who are uh, are fearful, those who are afraid, it's to those that he comes and he says, look, I'm here. Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. God is the thing. God is salvation. When he comes, he's with us. He is that source of life. And so he's saying to these exiles, oh, God's coming. And salvation, it's, it's more than, it's two ways here. If we love God and know him, salvation's a very good thing when he comes. If we don't love God, if we hate God, his presence is scary. So he comes with a recompense as well. That's why our creed, the Nicene Creed, is so important to us. What does it say? He will come to judge the living and the dead. He needs to set things right. Uh, He has to to organize it. He has to sort it out. Only he has the wisdom to do that. Um, and And so here's the key. Here's your God. He's come. He's here. You see what happens when God's around? Even a desert turns lush. It turns beautiful. He is life. Then, and so English teacher, these are important phrases, then. So here's God, then. So God's presence is here. Then what happens? Then the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs and haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. It's not just the land. When God is there, it's not just the land flowers. But what happens? Blind eyes see. Deaf ears begin to hear. And... And so what we learn about salvation, God's salvation is not even just um, it's not even just the reversal of, of death. In their brains, this is very we're very materialistic. Death to us is when your heart stops beating, you're dead. No, no, no. Death, blindness is a form of death encroaching onto life. Uh, disarray, chaos in your life, families falling apart. That's death creeping in. 
okay, uh, being away from Zion, away from God's presence, that's death creeping into life. They have a much more robust understanding of death. You can die poorly, you can die in curse, and you can die well. You could die like Job did at the end uh, with his family. You could die like Abraham rested with his fathers. That's a good form of death. So it's, it's more robust. And so here we see God reversing all these things, uh, eyes, ears. And then look at this. He doesn't just reverse it. He improves it. The lame person doesn't just get up and start walking. He leaps like a deer. He's got extra, extra life just bursting out of him, more than you can ever imagine. You're like, the lame people become like little Isaac here dancing, right? That was leaping like a deer, or Eva with her knee. That was, uh, right? That's, uh, um, that's, that's, God's li- that's God's life and his power going into them. And then even these places, <clears throat> I love this, water will gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Water is the source of life, physical life, biological life, right? These desert places, so he's doubling down on this image, the death of a desert will become a place of life. And jackals, I know we don't think of jackals very much, they're desert dogs. So jackals take over a place when it's been desolated, when it's been destroyed. Have you ever seen, uh, is it weird when we'll see a shopping center that's happening? Ten years later, it's like empty and there's bags in the parking lot and there's like broken windows. So jackals go to those types of areas, okay? And um, and so the place of the jackal, so that's a sign of destitution uh, and desolation and abandonment. But when the jackal's place turns into a place of reeds and, and papyrus, lush, wonderful land, that's a reversal of death. Um, okay, so there we go. God's presence, everything just changes. Then the last part in the poem, we got this little thing about the holy highway. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up, uh, get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. The redeemed and the ransomed, those are those that needed salvation, the exiles. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. They will not be... Uh, so, the idea of the road, okay, what is this kind of poetic idea? Well, obviously, the, 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 we have this imagery of being taken back from Babylon in exile and needing a safe passage back to Zion, right? Back to God's presence. But uh, things we can really learn about salvation here as well is it's God who does it. Remember, he was, remember he was holy, Isaiah is like, I can't be in your presence. I will die. Or chapter 1, you guys are horrible. You're a defiled people. Get away. Well, he's made a path of holiness to lead to him. He made a way. He makes a possibility. He makes a passage that will set them on the right road. Mm, narrow gate. Holy Spirit. Hopefully this is going into your brain. All right, so uh, we, um, those kinds of images are popping in your head. So he will, he will bring you back. 
to Zion. He's going to make safe passage for you. There won't be wild animals like the jackal or lions. This will be, this will just be, it'll be cruising, right? It's just like a perfect little path to run on. There's no pits. There's no, uh, you know, this is like, uh, you ever played sports on a really nice field? You feel free. You don't have to worry. You, you just let yourself go. It, and um, I've played, I'm a soccer player. I've played on some horrible fields. I actually played on a field that went up. And so <laughs> you're just ready to break your legs at every second. It's horrible and the ball bounces. But when the, ball, the field is perfect, uh, there's a freedom. And you can kind of let yourself go. So that, So this holiness road isn't really like a restricted road. We find that when the narrow, we find that the narrow road is actually very freeing. A wide road looks free, but it's just, we just, it's potholes and we just do whatever the inhibition of our will is, which is just nonsense and insanity. Um, <clears throat> so here's this holy road that brings them back. And the ransom, the redeemed, so these exiles are brought back and they enter Zion. And um, again, I don't want to burden you with billions of texts about Zion, but one thing to look for when you read about Zion, especially in the Psalms, Zion is a place of peace. It's a place of security, especially from military conquest. It's in God's presence. It's a safety. It is the garden. In case you haven't learned this before, uh, the Garden of Eden, the way it's described, and that's the temple, right? The, the temple in the Garden of Eden, it's, in, it's God's presence. You're with him. There's a lot of correlation between the two. Um, so it's just things to look for when you read scripture. This is Zion. Here's this place. They go there, and what do they do? They sing. They're singing with joy. It's a place of peace. It's a place of healing. So that's, uh, so that's, that's God's salvation. He comes. He saves us who are in need. He saves these exiles. He makes a way for them to get back. And then when they get back, the goal is to be with him. Salvation isn't some arbitrary thing. Um, he doesn't just save our sins so that we could have our sins forgiven. It has a goal. It's so that we could dwell with him, that we could be with him. That, that's the purpose of it. He wants to be with us. And so this is, uh, I love this. this, is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. But, you know, the people who return from exile, they realize not all that's happened. Pieces of it happened, shades of it happened. But there was something lacking in the experience. And they looked for this to find further fulfillment, this passage to find further fulfillment, and um, for hundreds of years, actually. And Christ, uh, as Christians, we believe Christ fulfills these, fulfills Scripture for us. And so, um, sure enough, if you, I'll turn to Matthew uh, chapter 11. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Jesus has been preaching and teaching around Galilee. John the Baptist prepared the way, but now John the Baptist is imprisoned. And uh, he, so he sends some of his disciples. He says, go talk to Jesus. Find out, you know, is all this kingdom stuff happening like we thought? Are you really the one who is to come? And here, let's listen to Jesus' answer. 
After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back, report to John what you hear and see. I don't need to give John a direct answer. Tell him this. He'll know what I'm talking about. Okay? That's what he's saying. Like, this is a code between. It'll be obvious. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Sounds a lot like Isaiah 35. Actually, parts of that is a direct quotation. Isaiah 35. So what does this tell us about Jesus? That this guy walking around Palestine, everywhere he goes, preaching this kingdom, reverses death, reverses sin, forgives sin, heals people, changes things. He's just like the desert that's becoming a lush garden. Where he goes, everywhere he walks, life is happening. God's kingdom is spreading everywhere he goes. What else does this tell us about Jesus? Is that he's Yahweh from Isaiah 35. He's God's presence. And so, this is Zion times a hundred. God, we bank on this. God said that creation was good. Salvation, did you see it? It involves creation. It's not just humans. Yes, our sin problem is one of the things, but it's related to the whole thing. We're a part of this whole created order that he made. And so God did something crazy. He incarnated himself. He partook of creation. And he came in, and how could we get God's presence more than that? How could we get God's presence more than... than, uh, than the Holy Spirit that he then gave. How could we get his presence more than uh, partaking of communion together? Right? Or being, or actually the body of Christ together. His presence. And so, actually Matthew, if you remember, he's the one that fulfills another Isaiah prophecy about Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so, just like the desert for the, and, and for the exiles, um, actually, Matthew is a whole other topic, but Matthew picks his gospel as the people still being in exile. It's a whole other topic. I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards if you wanted to. So, um, but he is, uh, but yeah, he's Jesus. He's Jesus, and he's bringing. Uh, he is God's presence amongst them, and just like in the desert, everything's changing. It makes it pretty powerful too when you consider him walking up to Zion at the end of the book. God going to his own temple <laughs> and the son going to the temple of the father but of course he's killed um, but that brings forgiveness so now that his people will be holy but um, one little last little thought on salvation is in Hebrews we, uh, it's all over the scriptures but Hebrews says it really nicely in chapter 9 that um He's come in twice. He came once for the forgiveness of sins, and a second time, he says, for salvation, to save those. 
I thought Jesus saved us on the cross. No, salvation isn't done. You're being sanctified right now in your life, and there will be a time where he makes, just like the desert, he will turn all creation into a new heavens and a new earth. He will make it blossom in a way that we never could imagine. So I think we should, uh, I'd like to close by reading the end of Revelation. If you'll notice, this this sounds a lot like Isaiah 35, just in a just in a whole just in a whole new way. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city. Oh, there's that holiness idea. The new Jerusalem, Zion, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully and dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Do you hear that? What's the end? It's God directly with us, dwelling with us. And can death be next to that? It can't goes away, just like the desert becoming a lush garden. The tears go away. I'm sure we'll cry for joy, those types of tears, but we will, we will be filled with joy, everlasting joy crowned on our heads in God's presence. And finally, verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is the Lamb. So here we see salvation in full. It's being with God in His presence. You don't even need the temple. We don't need the special Zion for God's presence. No, it's just you can't escape His presence. You're just living it. So uh, let me read you a benediction and we will call it good. Um, this is First Thessalonians. Uh, it's God who saves us. It's God who gives us the strength to walk in His ways, and He will uh, He will help us and guide us on His holy path in uniting us with Him. So, First uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians five, twenty-three. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. God's going to help us do it. So let's pray. Father, bless this congregation. Be with them. I ask that you would help us to uh, consider your salvation and consider how it affects all creation, all time, and that you are the source of it all. Please prepare us, make us fit to be with you and to reign with you for all eternity. We praise you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.